Hello and welcome to the Power on the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? I'm pretty well tonight, Winnow. Um, I've been watching very closely your fantasy battle this week, the one versus eight matchup, and I believe you've had quite the scare. And with one day to go, how are you feeling heading into the uh, the final day? A little nervous, mate, to be honest. It's almost like the We Believe Warriors from all those years back, that the number eight seed's putting up a massive uh, fight. And uh, yeah, look, before the before the the battle started. Everyone was saying that it was a walk in the park, but uh, hasn't quite got turned out that way, mate. So I'm a little nervous, to be honest. Okay, so but you think you've you've got enough runs on the board to yeah just keep him at bay tomorrow. So he's um been right on your heels all week, but um yeah, it looks like you just got your nose in front today. So you'd want to try and hang on from there. Yeah, I'm just in front at the moment, but it's, it's there's probably three or four cat, cats still up in the air. So I'm certainly not super confident, unfortunately, but. Uh, Hopefully the cards fall my way. It'd be disappointing to bow out in the first round of the playoffs when you're the number one seed. <laughs> but uh, So talking of playoffs, Caddy, it's obviously the, the NBA season's winding down as we speak. There's about seven or eight games left in the regular season for most for most teams. So tonight I thought we'd talk about some playoff X, X factors for each team. Obviously all these teams have their stars, but you, know, you can't just rely on your stars in your playoffs. We've seen over the years, you know, your Mike Miller tops. Uh, for Miami back in the day, hitting some clutch threes. So every team needs these X factors to stand up apart from their from their stars. So we'll talk about that on, for each team. So we'll start in the in the East, and the Brooklyn Nets certainly have an abundance of stars, but they're obviously going to rely upon some other guys to to fill in for them as well. So so out of the Brooklyn Nets, Caddy, who do you think is the biggest X factor? Look, so what I'm going to go with is probably one that you wouldn't think, you know, just based on the output so far, is that hugely important to them, but. Just with the LaMarcus Aldridge um, retirement, this guy was the other sort of big name they brought in uh, from the buy, and it's Blake Griffin. So he's obviously had plenty of playoff experience. He's a big name and the former number one draft pick. And I just think if he can share a bit of the load that the, the big three that they have, particularly from an injury point of view, if, they, if they're missing any games, if Blake Griffin can kind of stabilise that unit, um, particularly from a leadership point of view and you know just that veteran presence, I think he's shown enough in a few of the recent games that he's um you know still capable of scoring the scoring the ball at a reasonable rate. He can still rebound, he can move out and hit the three pointer if he needs to. But I just think, you know, he, he could be a guy if he can stay healthy that can really, you know, have a big, you know, big moment in a game six or a game seven when things might get tight for them later on. So he's a guy I look at um, as I said, not one that you'd probably normally think of straight off the top when you're thinking of the Nets, but just with Aldridge now out of the lineup altogether and, you know, depending on where they sit um, with DeAndre Jordan minutes, I think Blake Griffin certainly has a really important role to play for this team. And, you know, I'm interested to see whether he can, you know, repay the faith that they had in him and bringing him in. And, you know, he obviously wanted to come to Brooklyn for an opportunity to win a championship. So he's going to get an opportunity, I think, to um, to certainly contribute. And I think, you know, in a couple of these big games, I'm sure they're going to find themselves in. I think he's certainly got the the game chops to, um, you know, to come in big um, in some key moments for them. So he's, cu- he's currently averaging just under the 10 points a game and just under 21 minutes a game. How significant do you think those numbers would jump up? Or do you see him jumping up at all? Do you think he could be in the closing lineup? How much do you think they'll lean on him come playoff time? Well, I think the 21 minutes is 
you know, quite surprising that he's even playing, you know, that, that many minutes for Brooklyn. I think when the signing was made, it was coming off such a layoff that he wasn't even playing at all with Detroit. It was hard to sort of envisaging, you know, where he was going to be able to get bulk minutes for the team. But just the way things have fallen out, particularly with, a few, you know, injuries to Duran earlier on, now obviously with Harden out of the lineup as well, some spot, yeah, some minutes have, have opened up, and particularly once LaMarcus Aldridge retired. You know, whether he can sustain a 10-point average, as I said, I don't think that's necessarily probably where I'm looking at him um, from an X-factor point of view. It's more just that ability, you know, whether it be in a, in a third quarter of a big game that he might get on a run and they might hit 10 points in that particular quarter and give them a real lift when things might not be going their way. So that's the sort of X-factor role I'd be looking for uh, for Griffin. You know, hit a couple of big threes, try and just give them a point of difference when um, we think they should be able to cruise through the first couple of rounds. You know, he's not going to have to do too much, but it's just when things get a bit tighter, uh, can he step up and, and play some meaningful, really important minutes for them? I guess the question mark on him has to be defensively, isn't it? Whether he can hang defensively. He certainly looked a lot more athletic than he did at Detroit. He's thrown down a, a few more dunks. We obviously didn't dunk in well over a year for Detroit. So he has certainly looked a lot better. I, I went with Joe Harris and obviously, you know, KD, Kyrie and Harden are their three main scorers. But Joe Harris is, is at 14.4 points a game, uh, shooting 51, 48, 77 splits. And that 48% from three is really crucial, isn't it? He, he's taken the six and a half attempts a game. He's hitting 3.1 of them per game. So he obviously those three guys I mentioned uh, garner a lot of the attention from the defense. And Joe Harris is going to be open, and he's got to be able to knock down these shots You know when the game's on the line. So you'd expect he's probably going to get quite a few open shots, even though everybody knows what a good shooter he is. You have to pick your poison a little bit with the Brooklyn Nets, and, and Joe Harris is going to be open. If he can continue to hit the three ball at the 48 percent clip he's, he's going to be really big for them isn't he absolutely i mean the effective field goal percentage at 66 and a half is just an incredible number you know we know he's a pure shooter um this the impressive thing with uh, joe harris he has been the really the main constant for brooklyn all year he's played in the 64 games which is a team high started 60 of those so he is such an important piece for them and obviously it gets overlooked from the headline with so many other star players on the team but you know really crucial component of, of what they're going to be trying to do. And as you said, you know, averaging 14 points is, is nothing to sneeze at at such an incredible shooting clip with 30 minutes a game. So, you know, really important part for them. And if he can, you know, as you said, just at least shoot at the percentages now, that's going to be just such a weapon for them in the playoffs. Sure will be. Now, moving on to the two seed at the moment, the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are their, their two big stars. Who did you have as the X factor for them? Uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers, I, I'm looking defensively for them. I, I'm looking for some really big games out of Matisse Thibel. I think, you know, he's starting to get a bit more Aussie confident. Matisse. Aussie Matisse. I saw, an, um, I think it was Shane Hill put his Olympic 12 together the other day, you know, certainly a couple of months later than, than we did. We sort of, you know, really took the ball. We're always on. ahead of the curve on the Power <laughs> and the Key podcast, Caddy. <laughs> Earlier than Shane Hill. But, it, you know, he, he selected Matisse Thibel as a, as a key component of what the Australian Boomers should be looking to do the Olympics. And I, I think he's got a really important role for the 76ers team. Obviously, we talk about defence with him as being his real strength. And we know when you know the playoff games get a bit uh, tighter, they get, often get played more in the half court. Having such a defensive weapon like Thibel, um, I think his minutes overall will probably get a bit of a bump up in some of these games because of that defence uh, when things are going to get um, really, really tight for them. So, again, he, he's been an important part. He's played in 60 games. That's second only to Danny Green, who's played 61 for Philly. Um, I mean, his scoring numbers are scoring just under the four points a game, but 
Um, you know, he's capable of hitting an open three if, if needed. He's going to have to because, um, you know, they're going to be collapsing defences all the time on um, Joel Embiid in particular and Tobias Harris. So he needs to be able to stand where he needs to be at any given time and hit down the three ball. He's shooting it at 30% uh, so far this season and, and, you know, really needs to probably improve on that in the playoffs. So I think mainly from that defensive point of view, if he can give Philadelphia uh, more than, currently 20 minutes a game. I think if he can get that up to the 24, 26 minute a game mark, it's going to be really crucial for them, particularly on the defensive end. He certainly will be. He's going to have to guard the, you know, the guys like Tatum and KD and Giannis and these sort of guys. So he certainly will will play a big role for them. You mentioned there his three-point shooting. And if he can just notch that up to, to league average between 33 to 35%, he, 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 could, he could see his minutes hike right up in the playoffs. I went a little bit unusual with this one. I went with George Hill. Now, he's only played the seven games since he was acquired by Philly. Hasn't been great, if we're being honest, at 5.4 points a game, uh, 1.9 assists. His shooting splits aren't great at 40, 33, 71. But last year, he actually led the league in three-point percentage at 46%. So if he can bring that to the table during the playoffs, we know that uh, Embiid and Simmons, they've tried to surround him with as many three-point shooters as possible this year. That you know they, they brought in Seth Curry and Danny Green, who have done really well in that role. And George Hill is such an experienced player performer, isn't he? We've seen him. He's had some really long playoffs run, runs throughout his career, going back to his Indiana days. He was with LeBron at Cleveland uh, for a stretch there. So he certainly won't be shy, obviously, at Milwaukee last year as well. So he's certainly not going to shy away from the moment. And I just think he's steady hand. He's not one of these guys that put, puts up big stats sort of assist-wise, but he doesn't make many mistakes either either so that steady hand whether he ends up closing games or not I'm not too sure but there's going to be uh, times during the playoffs where they're going to look to George Hill to to hit that open three which he's more than capable of doing and just run the show and give Ben Simmons a bit of a breather at stages can you see George Hill playing a bit of a role for them during the playoffs oh I think they'd like to think he will because I mean they obviously shifted their attention you know once they realized Kyle Lowry wasn't going to be available through the trade market and then the buyout deadline. So I think, you know, they, they shifted their focus to George Hill for a particular reason. And that, you know, that is that steady hand, the ability to hit the three ball, as you said, a league leading clip last year. If he can get back to any sort of, of that sort of form, it's going to be important. It's just how they can sort of work in their guard rotation. It, it gives great sort of backup there for Ben Simmons um, in, the, in the event of any foul trouble. He can come in and replace a guy like Seth Curry if he's not hitting his shot. And again, if Matisse Thibel isn't sort of elevating his game to the level they need to, then there's another option there as well with George Hill, who's you know been a really good defender throughout his entire career. So, look, as I said, they brought him in, you know, a real veteran at 34 years of age. Um, you know, if he can give them, you know, I think in the playoffs, you can give them anywhere from 14 to 18 minutes a game, really, I think, in those minutes, it's got the ability to, to certainly shift to any given um, matchup on any given day. So we'll move on to the third seat at the moment, the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, when you look at the Bucks, you think that their closing four, at least, would be Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, PJ Tucker, who they brought in, and... And, and the guy I'm looking at to be the X-Factor is Dante DiVincenzo. Now, they, they've given him a lot more minutes this year. His scoring's up to 10.2 points a game, 5.5 rebounds and 3.1 assists. 
He's been a little bit up and down throughout the year. He goes through stretches where he plays some really good ball, and then he just goes through stretches for a couple of weeks where he just doesn't contribute too much offensively. But I think they're going to really be looking to DiVincenzo to be able to contribute firstly on the defensive end, whether he can guard some of these these wings and guys like that to give Giannis a bit of a chop out. You know, Holiday and Middleton are excellent defenders, but they're going to need DiVincenzo to pull his weight on that end as well and also be able to hit those open threes as well. So I'd be looking to Dante G. DiVincenzo, as I said, he has been a little bit up and down, and and I did actually drop him. Uh, I've had him all, all year on my fantasy team, Caddy, and he and he, and he got the Derek Kickett tre- treatment this week, and I <laughs> gave him the lemonade and sass, and he, he's now on the waiver wire. But Milwaukee, if if Dante DiVincenzo can have a big playoff uh, run for them, I think they're going to be able to push hard for the championship. Yeah, really important player uh, for them. I think you know it was you know rumored to be involved in that trade initially for Bogdan Bogdanovic from Sacramento, and. I'm sure he would have been a, a, a very worthy um, replacement to come in and play for Milwaukee, but it never happened. But the fact they've been able to hang on to DiVincenzo and he's been able to give them you know, a pretty serviceable season here. And, you know, he does have great athleticism. He's a good defender. Um, if, if he can get, you know, again, like they're going to, the focus is going to be on Giannis and Middleton and Holiday. You know, if Brooke Lopez, you know, another guy that is pretty important. But DiVincenzo is a guy that can certainly um, slip under the radar and, get on the end of a few fast breaks, turn defence into offence, and, you know, he's an important cog. And um, I think his shooting numbers probably need to improve slightly on where they are, uh, particularly from the three-point arc. He's shooting at 37%. I think if he can get that up over the 40% um, in the playoffs, that'll be certainly um, a big advantage for the Bucks. The guy I went with for Milwaukee was Bryn Forbes, and he's a bit of an X-factor. He's obviously a former um, San Antonio Spur. He was a guy that the Bucks added in the off-season. He's sort of one of these guys who's probably undersized, not a great defender, but you know can come in and, and turn a game pretty quickly with some offensive punch. And we saw that just two days ago in their loss to Houston, where he played the 29 minutes in the starting role and scored 30 points, shooting 60% from three. So he can be that spark plug for them. We, you know, we saw it last year with the Lakers with Contavious Caldwell Pope. He he added, you know, just that that guy that probably goes under the radar was able to hit the big three-pointers. Paddy Mills did it in their San Antonio championship run a few years back as well. He's just that guy that can come in. He'll play a bench role for them, but if he can give them again, you know, 20 minutes a game and and come in and turn, you know, even if it's one or two playoff games throughout the series and put up a 20-point game or a 25-point game, that's going to take such a offensive relief away from if there's a day when Giannis is struggling, which we have seen him do at time to time through the playoffs. So, they can get the ball into Bryn Forbes' hands and he can create his own shot, um, particularly at the end of games if needed. I'll look to him as a guy that that they may not have had in previous years who, who is a really an offensive-minded guard and um, can really turn a game quite quickly within a quarter. Yeah, I think they're obviously pretty pleased to get him in the offseason from San Antonio. When you've gone through the, the Spurs system, generally your fundamentals are really well. He hasn't. He's, he's had probably an average season, I guess. He is shooting the forty-four percent from three, and we know how crucial that is to surround Giannis with with as many three-point shooters as possible. So he certainly brings that to the table. He'll probably play the backup point, you'd imagine, uh, during the playoffs, and he and he has got some playoff experience. So yeah, there's no doubt that they'll be looking to bring Forbes because they are a little bit shallow on that bench. So so they're going to need him to certainly stand up. Moving on to the surprising four seed, the New York Knicks. Who did you go with, Caddy? Is their X factor? Uh, well, the guy that I think's been in pretty good form um, at different stages this year is Reggie Bullock. So he's a guy, I think, when we looked at the roster initially, we're going, you know, where does he really fit? Why is he on this team? You know, they should be playing younger players, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he's been able to play 
Oh, he started 55 of their 56 games, which I think was a surprise in itself. I don't think, you know, when the depth charts came out at the start of the year for the Knicks in particular, that you'd think he would have been, you know, a long-term starting player for them. So he's averaging the 10, 10 and a half points a game, uh, shooting the ball reasonably well, 41% from three. Um, but he's certainly capable as well of, you know, supporting offensively Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. And, you know, I think we all these teams really need that you know, extra offensive support. And I think Bullock's certainly a guy that can come in and score a 15 to 20 point game through the playoffs if need be. So he's, he's added nice balance to their uh, to their lineup. And then there's good support off the bench and it allows Derek Rose and um, Alec Burks and Alfred Payton and these type of guys to sort of come in and do what they do from a, um, from a bench role. And he can hold down that starting sort of small forward positions, shooting guard and, and you know, take some of that uh, offensive heat away from, Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. So he's a guy, I think, through consistency throughout the year, uh, and we've seen him put up some big numbers in different particular games, and I think he's capable of doing it. He's a, he's a, a veteran in the league now. He's been around for a while, so I think he can step up in these playoffs and, and hopefully help propel the Knicks, hopefully for their, their sake, into a second-round matchup at least. Yeah, it's that three-point shooting from Bullock that, that's really crucial, isn't it? They don't have a lot of great outside shooters, uh, and he's shooting nearly six a game, as you said, there at the 41% clip. So he will be really crucial for them to to, to get that uh, offense outside Julius Randle. The guy I went with is, is Derek Rose. So there was there was a few eyebrows eyebrows raised, including mine, if I'm being honest, when they did acquire uh, Derek Rose during the season. They, they, they gave up uh, Dennis Smith Jr. He wasn't really in the rotation. And that second-round pick... Everybody wondered what was the point of bringing Derek Rose. Is it Thibs just bringing in one of his favourites? You know, you didn't want to see the minutes taken away from Quigley, but but he's been he's been outstanding since he's arrived. The thirteen point six points a game, four point one assists, but it's really over the last couple of weeks where New York have gone on this run that that uh, Derek Rose has come into his own over over the last two weeks, just under eighteen points a game and five point three assists. So he's giving him that real offensive spark plug off the off the bench, and obviously you know Derek Rose has been through a lot of playoffs, and there's not a lot of guys on this roster that have playoff experience. Obviously a former MVP. He's had some really good playoff and and, and uh, deep playoff runs with the Chicago Bulls. So we know he's not going to be scared. He, he's going to come out and shoot his shots and and knock them down. And he and he's going to give him that that spark plug as as I said off the bench. So I could see Derek Rose being a, a really big uh, contributor uh, for New York. God knows how long they're going to go for in the playoffs, but you'd imagine because he's one of the few on this roster that have playoff experience that he's going to be a really big X factor for them. Absolutely, and I think you'd be really enthused by the opportunity. I, you know, there's probably every chance when he, you know, got the trade happened to New York. He, he, I don't think he, he would have been like most of us. It wouldn't have envisaged that they would have been sitting in this um, really strong position this late into the season. So this is a great opportunity for for Derek Rose to get back involved in meaningful basketball games. And you know, we basically were robbed of you know some of some of his most important years when he went down with that ACL in the first round of the playoff series against the Philadelphia 76ers all those years ago. So for him to come in now, and if the season was to finish now, they'd be in a matchup with the Atlanta Hawks, which would really suit him as well. And I'd love to see him play great basketball. And, you know, he does have the ability to, to go for big, big scoring nights as well if they need it. So I've got my fingers and toes crossed that he can remain healthy and, and you know, play an important role and, you know, hopefully progress them at least through to a second round series. He's had an interesting career, hasn't he, Derek Rose? I mean, obviously a former MVP, as we've said there. He's probably been not if he hasn't been he hasn't been written off the last few years, but he's become a bit of an afterthought. But he's he's gone to New York and really contributed. When you look at his career, 
do you think he would actually end up being a Hall of Famer at the end of the day? He's, he's only a three-time All-Star. You said there, obviously, the injuries have, have curtailed what was a, a really, really promising career. I think from memory, he might be the youngest ever MVP. When all's said and done, do you think he would end up making the Hall of Fame? Oh, look, I think he's got to be a, a, a real chance. I mean, you know, I think the M- the MVP in itself, um, there wouldn't be too many of those that haven't, you know, ended up in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, but as you said, it's only the three All-Star teams. It's only the one All-NBA first team. A lot of his great, well, a lot of his prime was obviously early in his career. And then, you know, you, you look at, at least he's been able to put together some career of longevity, which, you know, was certainly probably debatable at, at, at a point three or four years ago. So he's been able to hang in there. There was a, you know, certainly a, a bit of a, a lull in his career, and um, you know he kind of re, re-energized it with a really good season in um, Minnesota a few years back, and then again he sort of got shifted around. And but from an MV, uh, sorry, from a Hall of Fame point of view, being an MVP and not making it would basically be unprecedented. When it, also you put it alongside his Rookie of the Year as well. Look, I, I think he will, he'll still get there potentially. I, I don't think he'll be an automatic inclusion once he's eligible but i think you know just the fact of that mvp will will you know really put him in hopefully in good stead to make it i know there's a there's a similar debate even in chicago around retiring his number so they're, they're sort of surely that's that. a foregone conclusion well you would have thought it would happen by now really if it, if it was going to happen potentially so i there's been a couple of guys that have come in been traded into chicago and have initially been given his old number one, and then there's been enough um, fan uproar that they've basically taken the number off that player and and sort of sat it out again. So they kind of need to make a decision at some point what they'll do with the number, but um, you'd like to think it'll, it'll be hanging in the rafters one day as well. Yeah, I'd be staggered if it's not. So we'll move on now to the to the fifth seed Atlanta Hawks. I went with Bogdan Bogdanovich as their X Factor. Now, he signed the four-year, $72 million deal in the offseason. Had a really interrupted start to the season. He was he was out with some injuries. He was out for a long time there. Uh, and he's really started to get his game going over the last month. So over the last month, he's averaging 21 points a game, 4.6 rebounds, 4.3 assists, shooting 47% from the field, uh, and 4.33 points a game. Now, bear in mind... Um, Trey Young has been out for quite a portion of that. But I think we're starting to see uh, over this last period of time the play that the Atlanta Hawks were really excited to get and the play that Milwaukee w- would have been excited if they had have actually held on to him. So uh, we- when you look at uh, the Atlanta Hawks, you could see them finishing with a lineup of Trey Young, Bogdanovich. Now, Hunter is apparently uh, due back maybe at the end of the week, so hopefully he can get some some games into him before the playoffs. And then you're looking at a, at a Collins and a Compeller. Or maybe they can go. They can go uh, small and bring in a Gallinari at the five. But he's such a crucial piece for them. I think Bogdanovich. Obviously, Trey Young commands so much attention from the defense. They'll try and double him and get the ball out of his hands as much as possible. But that makes it so much more difficult when you got Bogdanovich there because you can pass it to him. He can obviously shoot the three, or he's obviously more than capable of creating for his teammates. So I think Bogdanovich is going to have a really big say in how long the Hawks can go during the playoffs. Yeah, I had Bogdanovich as well as my X Factor. And I know, you know, sometimes we're looking a bit further down the, the roster to, to, to pluck one of these guys. But I think his, his role has become so important for them. Initially, when John Collins um, got injured, he sort of took up that starting role. And, and, you know, it was a good opportunity for him to get some meaningful minutes into, into his body, um, obviously starting really slowly here this season with Atlanta. But now, obviously, with the Trey Young injury, you know, that... Re- that reliance on him has continued to to be really important. So he's shooting a career high from three pointer this year with forty one and a half percent. So if you can keep that 
type of clip going through the playoffs. You know, he's a guy that they really need to be looking at to be scoring, you know, in excess of 20 points a game regularly through the um, through that first round to give themselves a chance. He's obviously capable of going even bigger than that up to the 30-point mark. And there may be time when he when he's required to do that, depending on the health of, and the fitness of Trey Young. So I look at him as a really important cog. If he goes cold, which he has done in previous um, stints throughout his career and, and has some you know really ordinary shooting nights, then I'm not sure that Atlanta can progress at all. So he's a such an important player. You know, he's going to be playing probably in mid, the mid to late 30 minutes a game uh, for them, and he really needs to step up and, and, and average really you know 20 plus points a game through the playoffs here for them. He certainly does. How do you think the the Hawks will go? Maybe it might be dependent upon matchups. Do you think they will close with Capella at the five? Or maybe shift Collins down to the five, bring another shooter on, uh, maybe a, a Herder or a Gallinari. I mean, Gallinari can play the small ball five, I suppose. How do you see that, that closing five going for them there? Yeah, look, I think it'll depend on matchups as well. I, I think they'd love to be able to keep Capella on the court. He's having such a impressive season. But, you know, if the, if the matchup's just not there and they have to go a bit smaller, then I, I agree. I think it'll be Collins, Bogdanovich, um, it'll be Herder, uh, Trey Young, and then it'll be one of sort of. Gallinari or, you know, if you said, you know, if Hunter can come back and, and play, he'd be certainly the other guy to come in there. You know, if Lou, Lou Williams gets a, a, at any stage into some into some form, then he's another guy they might be able to rely on uh, down the stretch. But he, he sort of battled pretty early on so far here for, for Atlanta. But um, look, they've got some options. I'm sure they would have loved to have got Cam Reddish back playing as well alongside DeAndre Hunter and get some, uh, some time into them before the playoffs, but uh, might not. Um, transpire that way, but they do have some options providing, you know, Trey Young gets back and healthy before the end of the season. They do bat pretty deep, don't they, the Hawks? So it's going to be interesting to see how that playoff rotation does shake out. Moving on to the six-seed uh, six Boston Celtics, Caddy, who did you go for there? Well, I was going with, he's probably not a guy that you'd look at as, as an X-factor, but I just think for the majority of this season, you know, he's been so hot and cold. He's, you know, been in and out of the lineup. When he's in, he, he has one or two good games and one or two bad games, but I think for Boston this season, when they have had such an up-and-down year um, collectively, they need some real stability at the point guard position. And I think Kemba Walker really needs to step up and earn his paycheck um, in this postseason. So he's a guy I'm looking at um, to be able to come in, be the team leader that they're really screaming out for. Obviously, Jason Tate and Jalen Brown are the stars of the team, but still pretty early in their careers, albeit they have had some opportunities early on to play some playoff basketball. But I think Kemba Walker, you know, he's a nine-year um, veteran. He's Played obviously for Charlotte for so many years in in many ordinary teams, and you know this is an opportunity for him to come in in some big moments here for Boston and really contribute for them. And I think you know he needs to be scoring, you know, averaging twenty plus points a game consistently. He needs to be shooting the ball better than the thirty four percent he's shooting from three pointer at the moment, and he really needs to start being more of a distributor too and a playmaker for this team. So I think he's sort of been a guy that for for many different reasons this year just hasn't quite found his groove, um, but I think if he can get going uh, towards the end of the season here and into that first round of the playoffs, he's a guy I'm looking at to really lift his his sort of output and really help these younger Boston players. It's a bit sad that injuries have sapped uh, Kemba Walker of explosiveness so much that we're now talking about him as being an X factor for the Boston Celtics instead one of the instead of one of their best players. Like this is a guy who was arguably the best player on Team USA at the World Championships just a couple of seasons ago, and and this knee injury that. 
Uh, I guess Charlotte sort of balked at signing him to that contract because of his knee injury, and they've probably proved to be right in the end, haven't they, given the output that we've seen. Look, he, he, he was he was good last year. I'm pretty sure he's an all-star last year, but he's just been he's just been sapped of, of that explosiveness this year, and he relies so much on his ability to be able to stop on a dime and hit that mid-range, and he just hasn't been able to do that this year. As you said there, if he could get back to doing that, you know, the Boston Celtics all of a sudden make a very big jump. But he's out injured at the moment. Hopefully he gets back over the next couple of games and, and can get a good lead into the playoffs because, yeah, if, if he can get his game going, the Boston Celtics certainly become a much different proposition. I went with Evan Fournier, who they did acquire at the trade deadline there. Now, he's only played the nine games with Boston because he missed quite a bit of time with, with some health and safety protocols there. And he and he's been very average so far for them. He's only averaging the 7.7 points a game, shooting at a horrendous 32% from the field. But we know he's obviously much better from that. He's a career 37%. Uh, shooter from three. He was averaging just a tick under 20 points a game for Orlando before the trade happened. Now, Boston don't have a lot of scoring that come off their bench. They're, they're, they vat, they don't bat very deep. So so I'm, I'm imagining Fournier being able to come off the bench for them during the playoffs. If he can get his scoring up somewhere between sort of 13 to 16 and give them that real offensive punch off the bench, take a lot of pressure off Tatum and Brown and, you know, hopefully for Boston's sake, Kevin, uh, Kemba Walker, I think Fournier could be a real fill-up for them. I did say that I thought the trade was a little bit confusing because they probably needed to address the big man department a little bit more, but I can certainly see Fournier playing a big role for them in the playoffs if he can get his shooting uh, back on back up to the level it was at Orlando. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, as I said at the time, I, I liked the trade just from that extra scoring uh, punch that gave Boston from from their bench unit. And you, I look at him as almost being that prototypical six man, and uh, which wasn't a role he was playing in in Orlando, where there was such more of a focus on him to be a really offensive minded powerhouse for them. But I think you know I thought the role was going to suit him uh, to come off the bench. It hasn't really transpired at this stage, but you know, as you said, if he can come in and contribute for them much more so than they're getting from him um, at the moment and then you know that he, he has that ability to kind of come in and, and win a game or two off his own offensive output so for his sake and for Boston's hopefully that that's how it sort of works. Now moving on to the seventh seed Miami now they've been up and down all season and a guy that really typifies that has been Goran Dragic so he's only averaged of 13 points a game of 4.5 assists his shooting splits aren't anything to write home about at 43, 35, 82. But this is a guy who, who was the leading scorer for Miami during the playoffs last year. He was at 19 points a game and 4.4 assists. He's got the ability to break down the defense and get to the rim, which Miami don't have a lot of guys that have the capability of doing that. He's very, very crafty around the rim. He can, he can shoot the three. Um, he, he's got big balls, Caddy. He's, he's not afraid of the big moment. And he's just one of those real competitors. He can come off the bench or he actually started for Miami. That was the big change they made when they did get to the bubble last year. And he gave them, obviously, a really big uptick in offense. But if he if he comes uh, off the bench in that six-man role, he can come off the bench and be a real offensive spark plug for them. Their offense has been horrendous right throughout the year. It's really the defense that have got Miami into the seventh seat at the moment. So I can see Goran Dragic, if he can get his game going, get it back to the level uh, that he was last year, Miami can obviously be a, a very sneaky playoff chance and certainly a very tough uh, first first round out for, for the number two seed. They're such an interesting, um, you know, team at the moment. Miami Heat. You look at the roster, and you just, you know, you can't really get your head around why they are battling so much. But they've had so so many injury issues throughout the season. Um, you even look at, you know, what's going to happen with Victor Oladipo. Is he going to be able to come back in in time? And you know, if he does, what sort of role is he going to be playing? But the the X factor for me is the guy that you know really 
made us all stand up and take notice in the playoffs last year, which was Tyler Hero. So he's you know been he's been almost exactly like Miami throughout the whole year. He's been up and down, in and out. Um, when he's played, he's, he's been inconsistent. His shooting's been been off a little bit. He's just averaging just under the fifteen points a game, um, which isn't a huge drop off from what we saw through the playoffs last year, where he was at sixteen points a game. But he he just had some really big individual games in the playoffs last year. It took it took some real heat out of or some you know a lot of pressure off Jimmy Butler at times um, and Goran Dragic. So I think if he can come back in and at least be able to be capable of showing a similar signs of what he was able to do in the playoffs last year, then you know Miami do have that X factor to be able to move forward in these playoffs if they can get through. So he's the guy I think they're going to be waiting on to get back and they want to get him back and, and you know feeling really good within himself. He was really feeling it. He was feeling himself um, the playoffs last, last year and I think if he can do that again, um, it gives Miami a real point of difference. It was more so the way that Tyler Hero went about his playoff run last year, wasn't it? More so than the numbers. Look, he put some good numbers up, but they weren't quite as efficient as what everyone might have thought. But it was just the way a rookie went about handling himself in the big moments in the playoffs. He didn't look afraid. We, we remember that picture of him doing that snarl after he hit a big shot. So he's another one that, as I said about Goran Dragic, who's got some big balls. So we know Tyler Harrow's certainly got that, that confidence, and he's not going to be afraid to take the shots. And as you said there, Miami is such an interesting team. Oladipo, we don't know when he's coming back, as you mentioned. I went with Dragic as a rex factor, but you could argue that yeah, as you have, Tyler Arrow is one of them. Oladipo is another one. Even Kendrick Nunn's got capabilities of going off for, you know, from 20 to 30-point games in there. So they're such an interesting proposition that they haven't been able to get their game going at all. They've had guys in and out of the lineup right throughout the year. Hopefully for, for their sake and, and for the all the Miami Heat fans, such as myself, that they can sort of get, get everything together over the next week or two and springboard into the playoffs and, and make a really deep run. Now, the, the AC Charlotte Hornets, Caddy, who did you settle on for their X Factor? Well, it's the guy that came back and played his first game um, after a long layoff of injury, and it's clearly LaMelo Ball. He's, he is the X Factor. He, he almost yeah, absolutely typifies what that meaning is. So if he can come in, play with some real excitement, he can, if he can play loose and, and get his teammates involved, I think you know Charlotte are, are really capable of, of anything, hopefully. So you know they've been able to hang pretty tough in the standings without both him and Gordon Haywood through a period of time. But, you know, now they've got him back. They've still been able to sit into that eighth seed. If they can get through that play-in tournament, then, you know, LaMelo Ball's a guy, I think, has the capability on the bigger stage um, to even increase his output and, you know, put on a real show for us. So I'm looking at LaMelo Ball with great excitement to see what he can do if, if he can stay healthy into that first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I think he might be similar to a Tyler Hero type. He, he he doesn't look like he's going to be afraid of the big moment, does he? He's got that inner confidence, throws some outrageous passes. I don't know if you saw the one he threw yesterday in his first game back. It was a full full court underarm pass. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And it was right on the money for for an easy layup. So yeah, there's no doubt he he basically is typifies what an X factor is all about. And yeah, now that he's going to get that 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 nice little run in, into the playoffs, you'd imagine that. You know, hopefully for Charlotte's uh, sake, he's going to be right at the top of his game. I did go with Miles Bridges, though, because over the last month, he, he's ramped his scoring right up. He's up to 20 points a game, seven, 7.3 rebounds and 2.8 assists, and importantly for, for the Hornets, shooting 3.1 three-pointers a game. So, And on the season, he's actually shooting the three-ball three ball at a 40% clip. So he's going to be very important for them as well, not only offensively, as I said there, he's really... 
uh, had an uptick in his scoring uh, output over the last month. But defensively as well, he's six foot six. He, he's going to have to guard some of the, those swingmen that you see uh, in the East and, and the guys that Charlotte are going to come up against. So I think Miles Bridges uh, is going to play a big role for Charlotte uh, during their playoff run. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, he had to step up again in their game, uh, I think it was yesterday, with um, Devontae Graham not playing as well. So, he, you know, he was able to come in score the 27 points, and if, you know, he can do that a couple of times in the first round of the playoffs, get, you know, in the mid, mid to high 20s, it's certainly going to help um, the case for Charlotte to progress, in, progress a little bit further. They're another team that can back pretty deep as well. If, if they obviously get, get all, the guy, all their guys out on the floor, Gordon Hayward's the other one that they're going to hope to get back at some stage. I haven't heard any update on his uh, injury status at the moment, but hopefully he can get back for the playoffs. So so we'll shift over to the West now. We've got the, the league-leading uh, Utah Jazz. Who did you have as their biggest X-Factor, Caddy? Well, it might be a bit of a home selection, but I'll go with Joe Ingles. I think um, if he can you know, shoot the ball at the, you know, the level he has for the majority of this year, then, you know, when he is hot and, and hitting, you know, hitting, you know, almost half of his three-point shots, it's such a huge advantage for them. Yeah, we know how good of a ball handler he is, and we know he's so good uh, teaming up with uh, both Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors. His pick-and-roll work with both of those players is outstanding. He's, you know, a, a, an admirable defender um, at his size. So I think, really, it comes down to that level of shooting um, and his and his willingness to want to take them in the playoffs, because as we as we've seen at times throughout his career, he has sort of at times shied away from um, you know being really confident to continue to jack him up. But I think he's such a good shooter. His scoring numbers, as we've spoken about a, a number of times on this podcast, are almost at historical levels. Um, so if he can come in and, and and play at that level, he doesn't have to play at a higher level than that. He just needs to play at the level he basically has when he has his really important games for them, um, then I think you know, he's a real team leader for this uh, Utah Jazz lineup. Yeah, we spoke about him last week, obviously, and what a really good run he'd been on of late and the fact that he's on target to have the highest true shooting uh, percentage in the history of the NBA. So he certainly will be a, a big contributor for them, you'd imagine. He's going to have to guard uh, some of these these really good offensive players uh, for the Utah Jazz. So, yeah, as you said, the big question of him is, is, is he going to be willing to take those, those shots? Because we, we saw with the Boomers that he wasn't quite willing to do that. But hopefully with a little bit more experience and the fact that there'd be absolutely no reason he should be downing his shot because he's certainly one of the better shooters in the NBA when he gets his feet set. I went with uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. So his stats this year are down a little bit from last year. So his stats this year, the 15.8 points a game, 3.8 rebounds, and 1.9 assists, uh, hitting 38% from three. And he's dropped down from 20.2 points a game last year and 41% uh, from three last year. So he has certainly dropped down a little bit there. And let's not forget last year, he actually didn't play during the playoffs. And that was a really big out for the Utah Jazz in that first round defeat that they had of against Denver in, in seven games. And you'd imagine if Bogdanovich had played last year, they certainly would have got past Denver in that first round and, and who knows would have happened from what would have happened from there. So you'd hope that you'll certainly Utah would be hoping that Bogdanovich can get his stroke up. You know, 41 to 38 doesn't sound like a lot, but, but it, can, it can be a bit of a difference in a playoff series. You wouldn't imagine he's going to be able to get his scoring back up to 20 points a game, but if he can hover somewhere between sort of 17 and 19, given that, that extra offensive punch... We don't know how they're going to go. You'd imagine that they're going to try and keep Rudy Gobert out on the floor as much as possible. But if they do go small and Bogdanovich has to come in and maybe even play a bit of small ball five, he, he I think Bogdanovich is going to be a really big contributor for them and a really key contributor for them during the playoffs. Yeah, and he's a real point of difference, obviously, that they didn't have last year. And 
another guy a really good size can shoot the three fits into beautifully to the way that they want to play and you know when he's out on the out on the floor and healthy um when donovan mitchell comes back he, he's really a great sort of second scoring pure scoring option that they have on that team and um hopefully for his sake you can you can really pay him back for not being there uh last year and help them you know progress hopefully all the way through to the western conference finals He'll obviously be very keen to do that, given that he did miss it last year. Now, moving on to the two-seed uh, Phoenix Suns. I went with Mikael Bridges. Now, we spoke about his brother earlier for the for the Charlotte Hornets, but Bridges this year has taken a big jump up, I think. Now, his numbers don't jump off the page at 13 points a game, 4.4 rebounds and 2.2 assists, but he's shooting good splits from the field at 53, 40 and 81, and he's got arms that go for, for goes for days. So he's going to be the one that, that's going to be given the, the quest of uh, defending, the, you know, your Kawhi Leonard, your LeBrons, your Michael Porter Jr., probably even Luka Doncic. So, you know, being the two-seed, you Phoenix would obviously be hoping to make a, a really deep run in the playoffs. And defensively for them, Bridges is going to be so important to be able to slow some of these guys down. And then also obviously give them some, something offensively as well. Now, that 40, 40% from three is going to be so crucial. We know what a maestro Chris Paul is in the pick and roll. He can cut up a defense. And then if there's an open shooter anywhere, he's going to hit them right in the pocket. And that guy has to be ready to knock down the shot. So it's it's going to be interesting to see whether Bridges can do that. You know, he's not all that that experienced. I think it's his third season now. So he's going to have to have a big playoff run, I think, uh, for, for Phoenix to go as deep as they want to. Yeah, he has a, he's been that real excitement for them uh, this year. His development, his continued improvement. As you said, can he stand up in the heat of battle in these really important playoff games? He's lucky enough. He's got real veteran leadership now around him with Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, um, and a few of the other guys they've brought in. So, yeah, he's incredibly important for them. He's been able to do do that damage for them for most of the year um, pretty consistently. So I, I'd like to think there'd, there'd be no real reason why he can't you know, continue to play in the mid, you know, low to mid 30 minutes per game and, and really try and give them at least 15 points a game uh, for them and, and really you know alleviate some of the offensive burden that's going to come on Booker and, and Chris Paul. And, and that's the reason I've chosen my guy, Deontay um, Ayton, for uh, my X Factor uh, for Phoenix this year. I just think, you know, particularly from the offensive end, if he can play games where he can, you know, score at least above the 15-point-a-game range, it, it does really make them a, a different team when he scores in the big, you know, in the big numbers. So we're looking at some of the matchups that he might have to play against, you know, Utah with Rudy Gobert, if it's Denver and Jokic, LA Lakers and, and obviously Anthony Davis. So he's going to be really important for him to be able to, A, stay on the court, um, late in games and also stay out of foul trouble in these playoffs. So this is really what it's set up for when they drafted DeAndre Ayton number one, the Phoenix Suns. It's it's for these type of moments coming into the playoffs where they really want to see him contribute. We know he's a good rebounder. He can block shots. But, you know, I think for me, if he can score regularly and really contribute on the offensive end as well, it's going to make a big difference for the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. Yeah, I did mention earlier when we spoke about uh, Aiton quite a few weeks ago. Now, the thing that impressed me the most was his willingness to sacrifice a little bit offensively. So he averaged just over 18 points last year. And to drop down now to 14.8, this is a guy who was a number one draft pick, still on his rookie contract, only in his third season. And most of the time you see these guys, particularly number one draft picks, they're out to want to prove themselves. This is the reason I was a number one draft pick. I can average 23, 24 points a game. Grab your 12, 13 rebounds. 
but but he's 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 willing to sacrifice has has shown a level of maturity for a guy who's only twenty two years of age that I probably didn't think was going to be there. So full credit to him. He's definitely improved defensively. You mentioned some of the guys there in you know Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic that he could potentially come up against in the playoffs. So he's going to be so crucial for them if he can stick on the floor. We have seen at times that they have taken him off the floor late in games, but it, but if he can stay on the floor. He gives him that that real sort of rock in the middle there to protect the rim. And, and as you said there, he's obviously more than capable of putting points on the board as well. So there's absolutely no doubt that Aiton is going to be very big for them in the playoffs going forward. Now, the number three seed incredibly at the moment, given all the injuries they've got, are the Denver Nuggets. Who did you go for as their playoff X Factor? Well, they're sort of running out of bodies, really, to sort of put into this category. But incredibly, as you said, um, since the Jamal Murray injury, I think they've gone eight, eight out of nine games, which is not what we were predicting at the time. I think we were saying if they could almost hang at 500 through to the end of the year and try and cling on to a four or five seed, I'm sure they would have been absolutely delighted with that. But the fact that they've now you know, pushed their way up into the number three, um, interestingly enough, it's been the LA Lakers that have now dropped down to the sixth seed, who they, we kind of had locked in that four and five <laughs> matchup. So they've gone one way and the Lakers are trending back the other way. So look, the West playoff run down the stretch is you know, probably the most interesting thing um, in terms of the, the seedings, I think, for the remainder of the season. There's a couple of really tight groups there in some key spots. But I think, um, look, it's Michael Porter Jr. You know, for, for me in the playoffs as the, as the X Factor, we know you know, he's almost a borderline star player as it is, but I think he needs to continue to go to another level in these playoffs. This is the sort of stage and the sort of moments I think he was after. I think he was probably holding his tongue. Or at times, he slipped his tongue a little bit just around his frustration of the role he was playing last year and basically having to come off the bench and playing in limited minutes. But he's now basically been given... Not not quite the keys because they're certainly firmly in Nikola Jokic's hands, but he's certainly been given absolute free reign to go as crazy as he can here for these Denver Nuggets. And he's been able to repay some of that faith, um, you know, just in his last four games. He scored 25, 23, 28, and 31. And that's the sort of consistency um, offensively they're going to need out of Michael Porter Jr. in the playoffs if, if you know, as we've been able to see, they, they can stay competitive um, even without the likes of Will Barton and Jamal Murray. So... Um, I'm excited to see what sort of level, albeit we know he's already a, a, an established player, but if he can really elevate himself in these playoffs to become almost a lay-down, guaranteed sort of all-star player for next season, I think um, this is the sort of level we want to see out of Michael Porter in these playoffs. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what he brings in the playoffs. I didn't go with him as my X-Factor because I basically almost see him as that star at the moment. As you said, he's really blossomed since we've seen seen the injuries pile up for the Denver Nuggets. And he's he's just in, an incredible offensive player, isn't he? There was some comparisons made to Kevin Durant when, when he first entered the league. And, you know, the reason Denver got him down at the 14th or 15th pick because he'd, he'd had that back injury. But he's turned out to be an absolute steal for them, hasn't he? And we've spoken about him a couple of times uh, throughout the season. But I don't, I don't think I've mentioned the one thing that stands out for me when you watch him this year compared to last year is he just looks so much stronger. And he's got, he's got, he's very similar to KD, and you can see why the comparisons were made. That he's jump, he's he's got such a, a long wingspan that when he shoots it, it's almost impossible to block. So I could see him having a really big playoff series. And you went through some of the numbers that he's put up over the last few games, and he, yeah, he, I could see him averaging nearly thirty points a game, you know, for Denver in a playoff run. So really exciting coming up, a really exciting playoff run coming up for Michael Porter Jr. The guy I ended up going with though was Aaron Gordon. Now we 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 thought when they acquired Aaron Gordon that he was he was going to be a really important piece for them and he certainly has been but I've been 
a little bit surprised if I'm being honest that that his scoring has dropped off so much. And I was hoping that you know once these injuries did start piling up uh, with Denver that he'd be able to increase his output. But it hasn't really happened as yet. So he's only averaging the 11 points a game. He's shooting 52% from the field. But but I guess it's defensively that they're going to be really looking for Aaron Gordon to earn his money. You know, similar to Mikhail Bridges for the Phoenix Suns, he's going to have to come up against your your Kawhi Leonard's, LeBron, your Porter Junior. Uh, obviously not Porter Junior. Your your Luka Doncic. So he's going to have to guard the best wing for 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 the opposition. So he, he's going to be very important for them, Aaron Gordon. And and you would hope um, he'd be able to get, give them a bit more offensively as well, given that they can't just afford to rely upon Jokic and Porter Junior. And God knows if Barton's going to come back. So I think Aaron Gordon's going to play a really big role for them. Uh, in their playoff run. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why he's there. You know, I, I, we didn't think he was going to have to step up and be sort of the, the number three player almost when, when they first acquired him, but now he's got that opportunity. You know, his scoring numbers still haven't lifted to the levels that we'd probably like to see them, but they haven't probably had to because of the improvement from Porter Jr. and getting really good support out of Dozier in particular as well in the guard spot. So, you know, if Gordon can come in, uh, elevate his game again, be a defensive-minded player, particularly in the playoffs, take some of the heat off Nikola Djokic in that area of the court, you know, then making that trade already has been a, a, a win and it'll be a greater win if they can, you know, progress through under really adverse circumstances heading into the playoffs. Now just quickly on Denver, we, we'd basically written their obituary for the season. It looked like they were going to finish fourth, Lakers fifth. You spoke earlier about how, you know, things that they've now gone to the three seed and and the Lakers have dropped back to the sixth. But if they end up getting the fourth seed and Dallas get the fifth seed, could you see Denver progressing past the first round then? Well, it's a better matchup, absolutely. I, I still think that there's no way in the world they want to be playing the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. But, um, you know, if they get that Dallas matchup, then, you know, I think they're going to be feeling a little bit more comfortable with their chances and, and, and probably they'd almost go into that series potentially as favourites. So, you know, with when you've got Nikola Jokic, who, you know, we spoke about, you know, what, affect the Murray injuries we was going to have on his MVP candidacy. Well, I think he's certainly shown us that he's he's up for the challenge and, you know, there's been absolutely no reason why you wouldn't think he, he's going to be the absolute, almost unanimous, I think, MVP now, the way that they've been able to continue on um, sans Jamal Murray. So, now, look, I think um, if they get the Dallas matchup, obviously you've got the, the Luka uh, Doncic factor, but um, outside of that, I think Denver are probably a more rounded and more experienced team. They, they would certainly relish that opportunity to play them. Now, moving on to the fourth seed, LA Clippers. The guy I went with basically is a is an absolute X factor, and that's Rajon Rondo. So they got him across. They they gave up Lou Williams and that draft pick, which surprised a few people that they they gave up a draft pick as well to get Rondo. But you know he hasn't. He's he's probably done what you'd expect him to do in the regular season since since he's come across at the six point seven points and five point four assists. But they haven't got him there for the regular season. They've got him there for one reason and one reason only, and that's for his little moniker that he likes to go by, Playoff Rondo. We we've seen it right throughout his career. His ability to be able to raise his game in the playoffs, and that's something that the, that the Clippers desperately need. So whether it's it's doing those you know doing the stuff on the court or whether it's off court and and he's holding all these guys accountable your Kawhi Leonard's, you know, Paul George when Paul George gets into one of his moods and can sulk a little bit. Rondo's not going to be afraid to to, to let them have it and, and let them hear what they need to hear. So I think he's just going to be so valuable for, for the Clippers, both on and off the court. 
And it's going to be interesting to see what, what does end up happening with, with that point guard role for the Clippers. Now, Reggie Jackson's got it at the, at, at the moment, and he's actually been playing some really good ball for them. Probably a little bit surprising, to be honest. Uh, and Pat Beverly, who, who's actually been out for the last month, but he's due back very shortly. H- how do you see that point guard rotation shaking out for the Clippers during the playoffs? Do you think they'll go a little bit more with Rondo, or they stick fat with maybe a, a Pat Bev, who, who's done it for him a little bit in the past, and Reggie Jackson, who's been pretty good for them over the last month? Yeah, well, firstly, I had Rondo as my X Factor too, and, and you went through all the reasons why, and particularly the, the nickname in particular. But I think... At the moment, they're, I'd suggest they're really enjoying the play they're getting out of Reggie Jackson. So I think he's a real chance to, even if Patrick Beverly does come back, um, as we expect prior to the playoffs, so I'd, I'd be surprised if they shift Reggie Jackson out of that starting unit. And then I think it's really just providing a combination of Beverly, Rondo and Jackson, you know, splitting those minutes up almost, probably divided by three to, to, some, ex- to some extent. So I think Rondo is going to be really important for them in the playoffs. And, you know, he's even shown in that game against Denver uh, today what he's capable of from an offensive point of view, which is what we haven't seen uh, so far really since he's gone there. But the 18 points today, shooting um, 66% from the field, uh, is the sort of level he can get to in the playoffs. But from the rotation in terms of the guard spot, I think, you know, I think it'll almost be a shared a shared lineup. They'll just work them through. They'll be match-up dependent. But I think, as you said, Rondo's got more to offer than simply on the court. It's what he brings collectively across the whole thing. I think other than that, the, the Clippers are sort of a team that you kind of know what you're going to get from most of their guys game in, guy, uh, game, in game, game out. So I think you know Rondo is that guy that can do some things that are a little bit different and really jump up and surprise you um, in a playoff game. So he's the guy I think that they targeted in the trade period to bring in, um, they gave up a you know some a significant player in Lou Williams to, to bring him in. So I, I dare say they, they've got high expectations for him. And they're such an interesting team, aren't they, the, the LA Clippers? It, the, it's going to be so dependent upon what happens with their roster, what happens during this playoff run, and it would just be disastrous for them. You can you can see so much jockeying going on over the over this last week or two. Uh, for these playoff seeds, because you'd, you'd imagine the last thing the Clippers would want would be coming up against the Lakers in the first round, and if they get get done in the first round, who knows what Steve Barber is likely to do with that roster. So Rondo's going to be absolutely massive for them, given his playoff experience. So so moving on to the next team, the, the fifth-seeded uh, Dallas Mavericks, who did you go with as their X-Factor? I've gone with Kristaps Spazingas. Um you know he's probably their second best player when he's when he's healthy. But the the big question there is if he, if he's healthy, and we've seen again this week he's he's missed key games with a, a range of different injuries. They really need him to come up and get on the court, so we can see uh, what this Dallas team could be capable of. He obviously missed last year's playoffs, and the, uh, there was probably too much left in the end on Luka Doncic's shoulders, and he certainly was able to rise to that challenge. But there just wasn't enough depth in behind it. So. Yeah, Pazingas is really crucial to them. God only could guess it whether he's going to be able to withstand a, a seven-game series. You know, just his his game log when you go through it. There's so many missed games. He barely plays more than two or three in a row before he has to sit another one out. So he really needs to try and take whatever rest he needs over the next couple of weeks to get his body right, so he can give uh, Luca and the Dallas Mavericks an opportunity here in the first round of the playoffs. And as we as we've just discussed, it's really hard to line up at the moment who that matchup might be. Um, but they certainly, on uh, from looking at the rest of the roster, they really need Kristaps Pazingas available and playing at a high level. And, and by that, it's you know averaging no less than really the twenty points a game, which is what he's averaged throughout the season. And you know, hopefully, having a couple of individual games that pushes it a little bit higher than that. But I think without 
Pazingas playing, then I, I think Dallas are probably a first round out again in this year's playoffs. Yeah, he's 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 just absolutely crucial for them, isn't he? He's he just he probably hasn't put together the season they would like, as you mentioned there. It's that ability to be able to stay on the floor, and you never know when he's going to get one of these little nicks. But you know, only playing the three playoff games for them last year, and he was he was pretty effective when he did get out in the court for him. But he just he just couldn't stay out there for long enough, and his ability to obviously stretch the floor and protect the rim and, j- and just give Luca that that other offensive. Uh, option is just so crucial. So yeah, they're going to be crossing everything they've got that, that uh, Porzingis can get healthy and stay on the floor. And, and if he does, you know, that they could they could potentially make a, a deep playoff run. Interestingly, over the last week or two it was, some news did come out and, and Mark Cuban, the Dallas owner, did address the fact that maybe uh, Doncic and Porzingis don't have the best relationship off, off the court. I, I'd never heard anything like this, but apparently it had sort of been going around the Dallas media for quite a while and, and, and Cuban actually felt that he had to address it. So maybe those two don't get along, you know, as swimmingly as, as the Mavericks would like, but certainly on court that those two need to be able to coexist and, and work together really well. I, I went with Tim Hardaway Jr. And, and it's for that for the reason that obviously Doncic and, and Porzingis are the two main offensive threats. And Hardaway Jr. coming off the bench is that guy that can come off and just be that offensive spark plug. So he's averaging this year just the six, well, just the, I'll say just the, it's the 16 points a game, shooting 43-38-80% splits. But he's one of those guys that can just get hot. He's like that microwave scorer. We saw during the week he had the 42 42 points, albeit against a, a very ordinary Detroit team. But he's a guy that can get hot for stretches of games. You know, he can maybe carry a team offensively for a quarter or even a game. And if he comes out and has one of these games where he shoots somewhere between, you know, your 30 to 35 points, that, well, that's going to be enough to get Dallas across the line when you've got Doncic doing what he's going to do and, and hopefully potentially Pozingas as well. So I could see Hardaway Jr. having a big role for them during the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. He's been a pure scorer ever since he's come into the league. and particularly if he does have to elevate in, in any absence of Pazingas, then he needs to consistently give Luka Doncic some support uh, at the offensive end and, and not sort of have one good game, one bad game. He really needs to play at a high level all the way through to give them any, any opportunity. He certainly does. Now we'll move on now to the sixth seed, LA Lakers. Who did you settle on for their X-Factor, Caddy? I think it's Dennis Schroeder. Um, he's come in you know, for a reason to play uh, for the Lakers. I thought he had a really impressive playoff series last year with OKC uh, in that seven-game series that they were involved with, averaging 17 points a game. He's shown at times this year what he is capable of as a lead ball handler. Um, we know LeBron's going to take a lot more of the usage in the playoffs, but he's going to need that support from, you know, obviously he'll get it from Davis. He got it last year in the, in the form of KCP. I think this year it's Dennis Schroeder who's going to be the guy that LeBron's going to lean on, you know, when he needs to almost take a couple of possessions off, give Schroeder the ball, let him go to work. And he's certainly more than capable of being a primary, a, a primary ball handler and also um, a primary scorer in these playoffs. So I think if he can get going and play consistently well for the Lakers, then you know all, all things being equal, if they're fully fit and healthy, then um, I think he's a really important piece of what they're trying to do to win another championship. Yeah, you know the fact there that if he can give LeBron a chop out and maybe take some of that burden off him, LeBron obviously is back on the court now. We saw him return yesterday, but 
you know, at LeBron's age and, and coming off an injury, you, you don't want to overload him, especially early. Now, we don't know, obviously, where the Lakers are going to end up falling in the seed and who their first-round opponent's going to be. But but Schroeder, if he can give LeBron that offensive chop out, you know, he's more than capable of putting up 30 points himself. We've seen him do that throughout his career. He can distribute as well. He can, you know, when he gets it hot, he can certainly stroke it from the outside. So there's no doubt that Dennis Schroeder is going to, going to be a really important player uh, for the Lakers d- during their playoff push. I ended up going with Andre Drummond. Now, they got him in the buyout market. When you look at uh, Drummond's numbers since he's since he's come across the Lakers, they're probably irrelevant at the 12 points a game and, the, the, and 10 rebounds because now that LeBron and Davis are both back, he's, his role will obviously change. Now, yesterday in the first game with both of them out there, it's, it's hard to glean too much from one game given that Davis is still coming back and it was LeBron's first game in, in well over a month or, or whatever it was. He played the 24 minutes, had the 17 points, seven rebounds and the two block shots. But we, we saw last year um, right throughout the season and, and certainly early on in the playoffs that the Lakers really liked to go with those two bigs. So they played Davis at the four and it was Howard and JaVale McGee at the five. So you'd imagine Drummond's going to f- fulfill that role for them this year. And I guess it just depends how well he goes in that role, whether they do end up closing with him or when it gets, sort of gets deep and, and they really need to win a game, whether they, they put into the bench and they go with Davis at the five. But but if, he, if he's shown the ability to defend well enough and give them enough offensively and allow Davis to play the four and really stiffen them up defensively and, and certainly take a bit of stress off Davis, he doesn't have to bang with those big bodies in the post, Drummer can be a really big uh, X factor for them, I think, right throughout the playoffs. And I think the key is, you know, what what are the matchups? Can they play Davis and Drummond together? That will be what everyone's looking at. Um, I think Davis certainly prefers to have another big out there, which means, you know, he doesn't have to bang, bash and crash all the way through the game. But that'll be matchup dependent, I think. And the, you know, that'll be really it for Drummond is whether there's an opportunity for him to play alongside Davis. I can't see him playing probably down the stretch in in big games. I just it's just not how they've played in the past. But you know, he gives them. Certainly another option, um, both from a, a lob point of view, crashing the offensive glass. Um, it gives Davis you know, obviously more room to move if he can sp- um, spread his game a bit further um, beyond the arc and even out to you know, longer twos. Um, he felt really comfortable you know, shooting those last year in the playoffs as well. So Griff, uh, Drummond definitely gives them um, that you know, extra point of difference. It'll just be how long he can stay out on the floor with particular matchups. Now, moving on to the seventh seed, uh, seventh seed sorry, uh, Portland Trailblazers, Blazers. I went with uh, Norm Powell as their X-Factor. Now, we saw him come across uh, to Portland uh, in the Gary Trent Jr. trade. Now, he's played, uh, sorry, he's played the 19 games for them since he's come across. He's averaging the 16, uh, 16.8 points a game. But I think disappointingly from a Trailblazers perspective, he's only shooting the 31% from three, down from 43% uh, when he was at Toronto this season. So obviously such a, a huge focus from the opposition goes goes upon Dame and CJ. Now, now they need somebody else to be an offensive outlet for them, and Norm Powell's more than capable of doing so. He'd had a really good last two seasons with the Toronto Raptors. That was obviously the reason that Portland identified him and wanted to get him across because that they felt he could contribute a little bit more for them during a playoff run than Gary Trent Jr. would. But it probably hasn't quite gone as well as they would have liked just because that stroke hasn't been able to drop as frequently as they'd like. But if he can get his numbers back up to, to 43% that he was shooting for Toronto, and there's absolutely no reason why he wouldn't be able to do so because the amount of attention that Dame and CJ do get, you'd imagine Powell's going to be able to get some open shots. So if he can do that, get that scoring up a little bit and really be that third option for them offensively, you know, Portland could really become a difficult out during the playoffs, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he's certainly capable of, of offensively really contributing and taking some of the pressure off Lillard and McCollum. Whether they're going to need it, you know, in the playoffs, you know, I think Lillard will really try and, you know, start owning a bit more of the usage um, in these games. But, you know, Powell's certainly capable if things aren't working out as, a, as another really solid scoring option. Guy Olgert with was, was Nursky, I just think if he can stay on the floor and play you know, really bash and crash basketball and give them um, some real strength in the paint. It, it, it just takes that reliance they had last year away from having to play, you know, Ennis Cantor really significant minutes. We know he's a really good rebounder and, and all of that, but he's, he's a defensive liability. And if Nurkic can, can stay healthy and, you know, and upright, really, he is capable of um, being a really strong offensive player as well. We saw the game against the Brooklyn Nets um, a day or so ago where he was able to go for 23 points, 11 rebounds. Really crucial to, to help uh, solidify inside the paint for, for Portland and then, you know, just pushes Cantor into that genuine backup role, which is, I think, where he's more comfortable and accustomed to. Um, so for me, it's Nurkic, A, staying healthy and then B, playing a significant role for the playoffs. And, you know, they, they look a totally different team when he's up and firing and, and playing enthusiastically. He's just your old-fashioned bruiser down in the low post, isn't he, Nurkic? He, you know, he doesn't shoot a lot of th- just under one three a game, but yeah, th- there's no doubt he, he's very crucial for them. He he can, he can put points up. You mentioned there what he was able to do against the Brooklyn Nets. He, he's really strong on the glass, and you know he, he's he's capable defensively. The biggest uh, knock on Portland this year has been their defense, but they just haven't had any continuity with, with the fact that Nurkic has only played the 28 games and, and only only 23 minutes a game as well. So he clearly hasn't been a Hundred percent right throughout the season, so hopefully for their sake that they can get his body right and he can string the string these games together late in the season and and put his best foot forward uh, during the playoffs. Moving on to the eighth seed Memphis Grizzlies, Caddy, who did you settle on there? Well, I think the the biggest X factor really for the Grizzlies, and and it's just seeing whether they're going to go from being a a number eight seed to anything more significant than that, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr. Is whether he can come in and and play any significant time for them in the playoffs and, and, and at a higher level for them. I think it's, you know, we've seen in the early early infancy really of his career, you know, what we think he's capable of doing um, and, the, and the sort of importance he can have alongside Jane Morant. I really want to see him be able to stay on the court in these playoffs and at least give them a chance with this young core to see whether they are capable of causing an upset in that first round there. You know, if they get through, they're currently the eighth seed, just say they finish eight and play against the Utah. Well, they're going to, think that's a really strong opportunity for them to come in and, and cause an upset. You know, it's certainly a different proposition than, you know, playing a, a Lakers in the past or even a Clippers. I think when teams come up against Utah, albeit, you know, they're coming up against a raucous home crowd environment and added altitude. But I think at least on paper, you, you, you feel like you're going to be given a chance where, where they don't have those sort of out-and-out A-plus um, super-duper stars. So I think if Jaron Jackson Jr. can come in, give them significant minutes. He's only averaged the 21.8 minutes since he's um, come back in in the five games he's playing. He's still been able to average 13.6 points in the six rebounds. But if he can take that up another level, get up to the, closer to the 30-minute-a-game mark and get his points closer to the 20-point-a-game uh, mark, it just gives this Memphis team a totally different look. And, and it's just whether it's going to be too too much too soon for him in these playoffs coming up or you know whether they can get through the play-in just even on its own. So he's the guy I want to see, you know, really try and play out the rest of the season, build himself into some match fitness and then, you know, really open himself up um, for a tilt in the playoffs. Well, there's no doubt he's their second best player and they've done so well to get where they have given the fact that he has only played the 
the five games there and you know only the 21 minutes a game the biggest thing and the biggest reason he, he's such a such an x factor generally is his ability to to shoot the three ball but it it just hasn't been there so far understandably so given that he he's missed so much time but he's only shooting it at 17 percent at the moment obviously he's he's probably going to get that up up around the 40 mark which is what he usually is so if he can do that you mentioned there they come up against utah he's playing the five um, I know I know Memphis prefer to play him at the four and keep Valanciunas at the five, but if he's playing the five and he can try and drag Gobert away from from the from the paint and and stretch him out that way, that 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 will certainly be be a big X factor for them. So hopefully for Memphis' sake, you know they're probably doing the smart thing at the moment. They definitely are doing the smart thing at the moment, easing him easing him in minutes wise, and hopefully he's as you said up around that thirty minutes a game come the playoffs, and and he's going to be very crucial for them having any chance of of causing firstly getting through the playing tournament, and then potentially uh, causing an upset if they if they do get uh, into the playoffs. Now, the guy I settled on though was Dylan Brooks, so he's he's at the sixteen point eight points a game. Um, not terribly efficient, shooting forty-two percent from the field and thirty-four percent from three. But it, but he's just that offensive spark plug for them as well. So obviously, Jar Morant commands all the attention. Uh, now, obviously, with Jaron J- Jackson Jr. back, he's going to command quite a bit of attention as well. So hopefully, Dylan Brooks' efficiency can uh, can increase a little bit now that Jaron J- Jackson Jr.'s uh, back in the lineup. But he's a really pesky defender as well. Uh, Dylan Brooks, he's six foot seven. Um, he likes to get up in the face of the offensive player, and, and they really need those guys that can do that. So if they're in a first round matchup, you know, against a Utah, that they need him up in the face of a Donovan Mitchell or, or whoever it may be on the offensive end that they assign him to, and he's more than capable of doing that. And I get, I guess, the reason you're a little bit unsure whether Valanciunas can stay on the court. Now Valanciunas has had a, a really good season for them, averaging just under 17 points a game and 12.3 rebounds. But you know, obviously what you see a lot of times in the playoff is when the teams do go small and sometimes the, these traditional bruising centres like a Valanciunas can't stay on the court. So if Jaron Jackson Jr. does go to the five, they'll certainly need some, some more offensive output. And I think Dylan Brooks is more than capable of doing that for them. Yeah, it's just his shooting percentage, just really. He's quite a streaky shooter. He's a high-usage player. He'd really want to improve on the 42% he's shooting currently in the regular season from the field. Now, the 6.8 points, 16.8 points is great, but it's that shooting percentage. It's when he's shooting up closer to 50% from the field is where he becomes really, really damaging. Just due to the high usage that he has, he's probably, you know, almost takes the most shots out of any Memphis player, uh, really. And, you know, he's scoring... Averages probably should be higher than what it is. That that field goal percentage, the three point numbers at thirty four and a half. You'd really like to get that again closer to forty. Get the field goal percentage closer to fifty, and then you know that's when he's going to really become a, a step up into a, a more elite player. And it's hard to see. You know, the, the challenge for him really is: can he do that in the playoffs when he hasn't really been able to consistently be able to show efficiency through the regular season when things get a bit tighter? You know, is that shot going to go go wayward? And they do need him really to to be able to continue to feel like he can take the shots, but he really start, has to hit it at a higher percentage. Now, we didn't talk about any of those play-in teams. So in the West, it's Golden State and San Antonio. At the moment, in the in the East, it's uh, Washington and Indiana. If I was just going to pick one player out of any of those teams there, I'd go with Karis LeVert uh, from the Indiana Pacers. Now, since he's gone to the Pacers, his numbers on paper look pretty good at 19.6 points a game, 4.4 rebounds and 4.1 assists. But I don't think the efficiency has been quite at the level that certainly he or the Indiana Pacers would have liked. But, you know, he's certainly got the ability. We've seen him have have these big scoring games uh, throughout his career in the NBA. 
you know, Sabonis and Brogdon are certainly their two most important players. But if they can get a guy like Karis Levert as that third wheel, they can be really potent offensively, I think. But as, as, as I mentioned there, I think it's just more so that, that offense, uh, more so the efficiency, sorry, for, for Karis Levert that, that needs to get a little bit better. But I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table during this, this playoff tournament, uh, or this play-in tournament, sorry, for Indiana. Because I think... If, and I think I mentioned when we sort of spoke about the teams that we could see getting on a bit of a roll in the second half uh, quite a few weeks back now. We spoke about it, and I nominated the Indiana Pacers. Now, that obviously hasn't come to fruition. I was I was hoping TJ Warren could get back. Could get back. That hasn't happened. But now Levert's back. They've played enough ball together uh, over the, the, the last part of this season. Hopefully, they, they've got a bit of continuity, and, and I could see Levert having a big role for them in this playing tournament. Yeah, look at... He's gone through such a lot um, in so many different ways early in his career. It'd be great for him, you know, to be able to be, contribute in this playing tournament. And who knows, get him through to the playoffs. He's certainly a guy that if they do get there, uh, we'd be looking at to to really feature heavily and 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 you know really show probably show the Brooklyn Nets in a, in a sense what they gave up, and even more importantly, probably the Houston Rockets what you know what they don't have anymore. So yeah, um, yeah, for his sake, hopefully they get a good opportunity. Was there anyone out of those play-in tournaments that you were maybe looking at to be a, a, an X factor for any of those teams? Well, let's have a look at the San Antonio Spurs and our man Paddy Mills. So he's done it year year after year, coming off the bench for the Spurs, and he's done it in big games. He's he's had another pretty solid season for them, primarily as almost their sixth man in a sense. So I think if they've got any chance to get through that play-in game, and they're going to play, looks like they might play the Golden State Warriors even in the, in the first matchup of that. You know, if Curry's going to go for 40, well, Paddy Mills might have to go for 20, hey? So um, he's going to be quite important to him. You know, again, his shooting can be a little bit streaky, but when he gets it going, he's such a great um, excitement machine for the for the San Antonio Spurs. The crowd, uh, the home crowd love him there. And, um, you know, why not? Uh, wish good things for Paddy um, and hopefully get him through to another playoff series. Now, he has been a little bit up and down throughout his career in the playoffs. He's, he's had some good runs with them and, and some and some runs like last year, only shot 13% from three. Uh, but we've seen him, he, he's, he basically, well, not basically, he's the number one option on, on the boomers, isn't he, when he plays and, you know, he comes off screens and knocks down shots. So we know he's more than capable of doing that and, and he's certainly not afraid of that, big mo- of that big moment. We've never seen him be be afraid to take the big shots for the boomers and, and as I said, he has done that for the Spurs uh, during his career as well. So, yeah, obviously we, we always wish wish the best for the Aussies and, and there's no doubt that, you know, they are going to be looking heavily to, to Paddy Mills. He's got, he's got all that playoff experience there he's won a ring for the Spurs back in 2013-2014 and, and played a you know not a huge role for them but he did shoot 40% from the from three uh, throughout that playoff run for them so as I said yep yeah, he, he, he'll hit the he'll take the big shots and hopefully for the Spurs he, he's able to knock it down so we'll call it there Caddy it's been a bit of a long one but but uh, when you're running through a lot of teams it can sort of go, go for a bit of time there so as I say every week thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast uh, please, if you haven't, uh, jump on the Apple Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. It does help us uh, spread spread the word for the podcast. Also, tell some of your friends uh, if you could do that. Jump onto the Facebook page that we've got up and going now. Give it a like, and all the episodes get uh, posted onto that as well. Okay, until then, we'll speak to you next week. Thank you. <laughs>